0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello and welcome to the Layman Confessor Podcast. My name is Justin. I'm so glad you're here with me today. We are talking about depression, specifically Christianity and depression. And I hope you had some time to listen to the previous episode. In that episode, I lay out the plan and um, my argument for this series, which is looking like it— I I'm hoping for 10 episodes. It's looking like it might be more, actually. I'm going to do, uh, God willing, a couple of interviews. Um, they So it may be uh, significantly longer than the 15 minutes or so that we're used to. But um, I've got some interviews uh, lined up, one with someone who has been... Um, Working on um, some certifications with uh, within the field of trauma and uh, and therapy, and another with a, a student who has been uh, who did a significant amount of research. and really wanting to to talk to the student about what what that was like, and and to share some of um, the experiences of of researching this topic in in uh, that student's particular setting. But today, before we move forward, I want to take some time and define what depression is. We often—it's—it's um, it's easy to move into conversations without. Um, knowing entirely what it uh, what our terms mean and as an academic, oh my goodness, I wish I was paid by the number of times I, I tell my students to define their terms because it is so so important. If you ever see me in person sometime ask me about the Bigfoot Jesus story and uh, I can tell you that story to, to better um, illustrate to you why knowing what you're talking about um, or knowing how another person, Uh, is using their terms is just so important. But without further ado, let me get into a a preface that I don't think I mentioned last time, and that is I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist, Um, I don't work within the field of psychology uh, really at all. Uh, I took uh, a handful of psychology classes in college, Um, I recognize that that means I have more questions now than I have answers to anything, if I had taken those classes earlier, I probably would have majored in psychology, because um, I find it fascinating. And that fascination has um, sort of led to me always having a, a, a toe in the water of psychology, right? So um, um, articles, books, there are a number of uh, periodicals that I study, publications that I like to read. Um, and um and, and especially now as an educator, how psychology um, influences education, the way that we learn um, how a student's home life can influence the way that they uh, interact with other students or teachers or material in class. These kinds of things are always on my radar. And, and so I've always got an, an interest in them and uh, hope one day to um, do a, a master's course or or perhaps a doctorate, um, related to applied psychology. But, um, but given that, I am very dependent on, on second- and third-hand sources. Uh, the one that I use most regularly and uh, depend on pretty pretty often here is the New Dictionary of Christian Ethics and Pastoral Theology. I absolutely love this book. It's massive. Uh, if you can get your hands on a copy, it's really, really helpful. Not only does it have some really remarkable articles in there about how we can, uh, better look at ethical and, um, and even some counseling issues through a biblical lens, but it works like a dictionary. It is a dictionary. Um, and so you can look up a word or a phrase. Now it doesn't have everything in it like a a normal dictionary would, but just those things that have to do with pastoral counseling or uh, mental health, those kinds of things are going to be in here. And, um, And so I will be referencing uh, that book uh, quite regularly throughout this series, and especially today as we define our terms. The second caveat that I want to bring up uh, before getting into uh, defining depression is last time I mentioned a whole bunch of theologians and pastors who had depression, and I think I neglected to mention Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, which was uh, rather embarrassing of me because Not only was he the Prince of Preachers, that is, he's known as the Prince of Preachers, but he was also very open um, about his struggles with depression. Now, he calls it melancholia because that was a term used at the time, uh, but what he's talking about is depression, and um, he was remarkably open about, about it, and he wrote a ton about his own depression and about depression in general. In fact, he went so far as to say, or to argue rather, that you're more likely to have depression if you work in certain fields, specifically um, pastoral and teaching fields, which I found very fascinating. Um, and we may see some of that reflected in what I mentioned today. But we are we are getting on in time, so let me get to the meat of um, today's topic. I'm going to be defining depression for you Looking at a couple of primary causes. Um, all of this is just general information for you, so that you rec- so that you're able to understand. Um, so so that our terms are the same, right? So that we we know that we're talking uh, on the same page here, on the same level, and um, uh, so we don't get confused. After defining it, I'm also going to after that is after giving you the clinical uh, definition of it. I want to read you. Um, a, 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 it's not a definition. It's a description of um, what depression feels like from someone who uh, struggles with depression, and hopefully that'll give you an idea of what it um, what it feels like. It's a firsthand account. So let's look at the clinical side of this first, and then um, and then we can uh, move on to to that firsthand account here. Now, uh, I'm. Uh, Going to be quoting from the New Dictionary of Christian Ethics and Pastoral Theology, the book that I mentioned earlier, and this is, I think, the two thousand and three edition of it. So it is a little, um, a little older. I haven't even looked at a new one because this thing is so huge. I'm sure that I couldn't afford it, but <laughs> um, anyway so i'm just going to be reading from their article on depression here and then commenting as i go through it um this is going to be pretty quick y'all so because because of our time constraint but uh, they they define um they define depression as uh, deep prolonged immobility of spirit and body or a feeling of being pressed down pushed down and they go on. I love this addition that they make here. They they state that it's part of the general atmosphere of emotional pollution in which everyone lives in this fallen world. Um, it can be a painful emotional illness in which the sufferer feels hopeless and in despair, isolated, preoccupied with the depression, worthless, and unable to make even small de- decisions. And full of anxiety. And if you listen to those words carefully, you may hear um, a lot of shame sounding words. And that's really what uh, is a big part of depression. It's this self focused or self directed shame, Um, often a cycle of self focused shame that. that you can't really break out of without without some intervening help, and um, there are all sorts of signs of depression. Of course, um, you probably have an idea in your mind even now of you know that person who's quiet. They look downcast. They their eyes are downward. Uh, perhaps there's a lot of weeping. Uh, they've lost interest in. Uh, things that they were previously excited about. And that is a big deal with depression as well is it doesn't, like it's it's not just feeling sad, right? It's not just feeling down because uh, you didn't get your way or something didn't go the way that you hoped it would. It's this—it's um, this overwhelming fog, you know, this misty, rainy fog that sort of colors everything uh, from the way that a person thinks about things to the way that they see things as they're happening. Right? It really does influence the way that we—that we see uh, the world around us and even ourselves. Um, beautiful, wonderful things can can be happening around. Uh, the life of a person who's struggling with depression, and yet it would be all interpreted as um, perhaps useless, hopeless, meaningless, even, um, and 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 so it's it's really a debilitating thing. Um, But they point out that there are several causes for depression, and they can often be interrelated. They mention five in this article. There are many more, and there are a number of other um, wonderful um, psychiatrists out there um, that Go into greater detail than than this article does, but uh, just for the sake of brevity, I'm going to list the five that they they mention here briefly. Um, the first one is hereditary, and uh, that's a good one to know because uh, they have found that depression can be a handicap, which is traceable along the family line. Now, this doesn't mean necessarily that if you have depression, then one of your parents had it or your grandparents had it, or something like that. And it doesn't mean just because you have depression your children are gonna have depression. But it has been shown to be hereditary in many cases. Not every case, but in many cases. Um, Another cause, a second cause is a chemical imbalance. And sometimes this is a result of an illness, um, hormonal changes um, caused from things like having children right? Uh, We know postpartum depression, that's a real thing. Um, And sometimes that can last for a really long time. Menopause is also um, a cause of depression or has been linked to depression rather because of those hormonal changes. Um, Loss of testosterone uh, within men can cause depression. Thirdly, the after effect of a prolonged period of emotional or physical stress uh, can cause depression. Um, This one is often uh, more short-term, though, and often um, writes itself with with enough rest. Fourth one is um, probably what most of you are probably more familiar with when it comes to causes for depression, and that's a reaction to a major change in life experience, right? So you're talking about big things like loss of a job, sudden loss of a job, divorce, um, moving, retirement, um, loss of a family member, something like that. Those, those big, big changes. And uh, those changes represent a loss of the familiar in which a part of the self has been uh, somehow invested. And uh, if I, I think of our, our materialistic culture, and um, that may happen, that may be a reason why we're, we're seeing it more and more. Um, that's a hypothesis, don't, don't quote me on that. But a lot of that does come back to trauma, and uh, we're going to talk a, a little bit more about trauma in a few weeks, so hold on to that. Uh, number five that they mention is probably the most discouraging one, and that's an unidentifiable cause right? Um, The technical uh, term for this is endogenous depression. And this is the hardest to tolerate because in addition to the pain of the depression, just the experience of having the depression, there's the apparent irrationality of it. So despite months or years of counseling, a person who experiences endogenous depression uh, isn't going to come to any uh, conclusions or causes for that depression. It's just going to be something that's there, and um, this is actually what Spurgeon talks about in a lot of his writings. Uh, he doesn't call it this. Again, he he just refers to it as melancholy, but um, he's talking about the in in some cases there are just people who are depressed, and perhaps it's a cross to bear. Perhaps it's um, some sort of an attack perhaps but um, it's there and the cause for it may not be easily identifiable if at all and um, this is where Eastern Orthodoxy can be really helpful they have a term we're going to talk about it later called the logosmo which is bas- basically means a bad thought or a bad word that um, is literally from an outside source a um, a real being outside of us, um, I, I think they would call it de- demonic, um, that's trying to uh, manipulate and hurt us by uh, influencing the way that we think and the kinds of thoughts that we have. I want to talk about that more later. But again, this, this creates a horrific cycle of shame because um, whenever we talk about illnesses – and we do use that term when we talk about depression because it is a mental illness. Uh, we often talk about illnesses as something that can be cured, right? If I get the flu, I am going to go to a doctor, get a flu shot, or whatever it is that they do. Actually, I'm, I am I'm not. I am a guy. I don't like the doctor, um, but I am going to. I am going to be cured of that through one means or another, right? A lot of us got found various cures for COVID and and all of these various things. And so even when we look at depression, a mental illness, uh, a person who's struggling with that is going to be seeking some sort of a cure, right? Some way to get past, through over whatever that depression. But when you have someone who is suffering from endogenous depression, which again is an undefinable or unidentifiable cause, um, there's no point of origin for that depression in that person's experience, right? There's no event that they can look at and say, oh, that was the traumatic event that started all of this for me. If I can work through that, if I can get the tools to work through that and all of the, the things that came downriver from that, then I can get over this. It's just something that's there. And that's why I, I, want, I want to read uh, this account from this person who is struggling with depression And what this person says, just to give you an idea of the experience outside of these clinical definitions here, this is what this person has to say. Um, And uh, some of you are familiar with uh, people calling depression or feeling depressed a, a feeling of numbness to everything around you. This person disagrees. Here's what he says. I've heard some say it's numbness, but I don't think it's at all numbness. It's more like a strong desire to reach out and hold on to something or someone, but there's just no strength to do it. I think there's even the desire for connection, but there's some kind of something between me and anything or everything else. Like what or who I want is just on the other side of a barrier, and I can see and hear them, and I can uh, want to reach out and take hold of them or to be taken hold of by them, but there is no strength or ability. It is all will with no volition. And I know I can't reach out, yet I want to. And so the struggle is with my external inability to reach out and with my inner inability to overcome whatever is keeping me from reaching out. I hate every moment of this. The desire or will to be out of the pull of the cords is there, but the necessary oomph to do it is not. And I want all of the oomph I can get. I want the fight, the struggle, but even that is not there, which is what I hate. I can bear fighting it. I can't bear having been given over to it. And that is something more of what this feels like. That is, having been given over to something and having no say or will in the matter. And so I've read that for you because there is this cliche or um, sense that a person struggling with depression uh, is someone who is simply sad and wants attention and I have never spoken with someone who struggles with depression, who enjoys it, or e- who even wants to bring attention to it. And I think that account that I read there uh, is a good description or a good example of the active, um, that active haze or influence of depression on a person's life. This account is someone who is pushing against these depressive. Uh, thoughts as hard as he can, and yet, even the will to do so isn't there. All right? That's, I mean, just just imagine that. Go go back and listen to that portion again, and try and put yourself in that place. And I think that may help bring you to a better understanding of what depression is, which is why it's so important for us as Christians, as lay people, to learn what it is uh, depression is, and to learn how to respond to it, to pray for those who have it, to walk beside those who have it, and to recognize the fact that throughout the history of the church, depression, uh, though it was often not called Depression, as we call it today, has been recognized as a, a true and valid thing for Christians to struggle with. Another cross that Christians um, bear, and so uh, that's that is why we are going through uh, take going to be taking so long to go through this material because it's important that we look at it. Because, as I said in the first episode, though it's strong language, I believe that the argument that Christians cannot become depressed is one of Satan's strongest weapons against Christians right now. Um, he's, he's using uh, this argument within the church itself uh, to further destroy um, the church. And so let's not do that. So next time we are going to be looking at the theological argument for, uh, for depression. And um, looking, basically justifying uh, my position that Christians can get depressed. It's not just my position, but um, the church throughout history has uh, held to that position as well. But despite all of that, I know we're over time here. I just want to remind you of our Lord's final words to uh, his disciples as he was ascending. Um, the hope that all of us have, regardless of um what emotional state we are experiencing—it's the truth that we all have uh, in our lives, and that is that Christ will be with us to the end of the age. Praise be it out. Praise be to God.